focus on the journey. Don't force it. Don't try to get ahead of yourself. You know, I think for some parts of my career, I was searching for the position or the money, right? And what I know today is if you put the work in, the opportunity will come. If you put the work in, the money will come. If you rush things, you, you fail at learning things along the way that perhaps people are trying to teach you, but you're too focused on growing that you're not learning. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I've been waiting for this one. I'm excited to have my friend, Chef Jorge Ramos, the Culinary Director for the Americas of Hilton Hotels. Chef Jorge, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. I, I've been uh, supporting you since you started this little venture. I think it's great. You're giving some insight to our industry from a different point of view. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, you've got a great story, and I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. So let's hop right into it. Yeah. What was your first job in hospitality? So my first job in hospitality was McDonald's and IHOP. Wow. The yeah. culinary capitals of the world, man. That's right. That's right. So I, I worked at McDonald's after school and high school, my uh, junior and senior years, just a couple, couple hours a week. You know, you couldn't work so much back then. Um, and then my dad at the time used to work for IHOP. He was a training manager. So he would go around all the IHOPs in South Florida, open them, train them. Um, if they hired a manager, he'd go and train them. So on the weekends when he was working, I'd just go with him and, and prep, not even get paid. I would just prep, learn how to do some of the stuff that they were doing. And eventually when I needed a, a full-time job, when I was in culinary school, the one of the general managers gave me an opportunity. So it was kind of where I, I got my first uh, taste of being a short order cook, you know, learning how to uh, handle multiple orders at the same time, guest complaints, food coming back. That's where I kind of really got started with that uh, world of, of hospitality, which is what we do today. That's crazy. So, yeah, I've never really talked to anyone who's worked at a McDonald's and IHOP at both, but I'm sure like, you know, you got to be on your game. It's all fast, fast paced. Yeah. A yeah. lot of demanding customers, especially at that price point, want what they want. Is that what you yeah. saw? It, it was a lot about that. And, and really this was a, before I really knew what I know about the business today. So, 
you know, just the amount of food you went through in a good busy Saturday or Sunday, just going through 10, 12 cases of, of shell eggs, making, you know, over easy eggs, over medium. It, it was hard, you know, and, and all of it was cooked in, in a little stove. I remember the, the store that I used to work at had, it was a small stove with four little burners. It was, um, you would live and die by this stove. So if, if you had a lot of egg orders and you needed to multitask with the saute pans and, and trying to figure out how many eggs you needed, or if there was a lot of over easies, then you were just, you know, kind of a head start, if you will. Were you at IHOP when you really started cooking? Is that really where you started picking well, up? So well, not really. So IHOP, I think, gave me kind of the discipline of multitasking, really that that skill of short order, which a lot of times now you don't really find that. You don't find it in our industry that a lot of the, the young chefs or young cooks start at, down at that level. And I think a lot of those times are a little bit gone. You know, at least when I started coloring, a lot of us started in diners or your local mom and pop restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's harder and harder to come by these nowadays. So I think that instilled a bit of a discipline, but really when I got into culinary school and, and I started making friends and seeing where they were working. And then when I had my opportunity to go into my first internship, which was at Lowe's Miami, that's where I really was opened into the world of, of, uh, the hotels, the fine foods and, and things like that, you know? So before we get to where we met at Lowe's, you were went mm-hmm. to culinary school, right? Was that yeah. something that you knew you wanted to do? Or was it like, oh, I'm not sure what I want to do and this is what I need to do? Or I was passionate about it. What was Yeah, your, so it, it was a mix of things. Yeah, it was a mix of things, you know. So in high school, uh, a lot of my, my friends were going into service, the Marines, Navy. And I was like, well, I guess I'll do that. So I, I uh, applied for Marines. I did my ASVAB and all that. The recruiters came to the house. At the same time, a few years before, so like my freshman year high school, I had gone to Johnson and Wales for a um, a uh, seminar competition for school. I don't remember now what exa- exactly it was, but I remember seeing the laboratories where the, the kitchens were 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 at, and seeing all these kids cooking and and doing all these cool presentations. I was like, man, that is so cool. I, I'd like to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So when when things got you know kind of serious, as okay, am I going to the Marines or my parents were like. You haven't given, you know, college a, a, a try. Like, what don't you want to see what other opportunities you might have? So I knew I, I kind of enjoyed cooking. At that time, you only had kind of Emerald on TV. It, it was Emerald Live. So it wasn't what it was today, like the Food Network and all that. So you just had a very handful of, sh- uh, handful of chefs. So I remember seeing Emeralds and, and uh, there was this show on, I think it was a travel channel or whatnot. I think it was the Great Chefs of the World that I would see this show and you see all these master chefs and uh, that kind of inspired me. So I was like, you know, I think I want to do this. I want to go into cooking. Mm-hmm. And I enrolled for Johnson Wales and I said, you know, whoever comes first. So I literally got a letter from Johnson and Wales like one day and then the next day the recruiters from the Marines came to have my parents sign the paper, the paperwork. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to Johnson and Wales. And uh, the rest was history. That's awesome, man. So you're in culinary school. And yep. like you mentioned, you start at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. So, how did yeah, that that was a, so that was an internship. So uh, I went to Johnson Wells four years. So I did my associates and I did a bachelor. So your associates, uh, to end it, you needed to do an internship. The, it was, a, I think, my second year. So through that year and a half, basically, that I was in culinary school, uh, everyone talked about, oh, well, you're not, you got to look at a place where you want to do your internship. So I'm originally from Puerto Rico. I said, it'd be cool to find a company. You know, at the time, Rich Carlton was, was really the company 
locally that that you would want to work at. So I was like, man, Ritz Carlton has a, a hotel in Puerto Rico. It'd be great to get a, an opportunity to go to Puerto Rico. I didn't know how hard it was, right, to to go in perhaps international into the Caribbean and, and things like that. So uh, my uh, career advisor said, you know, you might want to look for a, hot a hotel that's local or a restaurant that's local. So she's like, let me help you out. You want to try Ritz-Carlton. There's a Ritz-Carlton in Coconut Grove. They're, they're a five-star property. Uh, I'll set you up with an interview. So she set me up there at the Senesta in Kibiskane, which I don't believe exists any longer. Mm -mm. So I did my Senesta interview, and it was my first time really being in one of these older-style kitchens. You know, I was like, wow, this is very different from the environment that I'm at at school, right? So I was like, all right, I'll think about it. You know, I, at that time, uh, they, they told me, like, think about it. Give us a call back. We would start you X date, right? I did the same thing at the Ritz-Carlton, but the chef at the Ritz-Carlton told me, listen, I don't want to get your hopes up. We're really focusing on pastry for interns. There's no savory internship, so it's not going to work out. So I came back. I was kind of defeated. I was like, man, two places. The first place I didn't really love. The second place wasn't my skill set. So the, the career advisor told me, look, there's another hotel that opened a few years ago. They have a fantastic chef. He's a master chef of friends, very respected in the community. And the hotel itself is, is really, really nice. So she's like, it's Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. The funny thing is my high school prom was at Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. So I remember the, the hotel, right? So I was like, great. So she tells me, the only thing I have to caution you, you're going to have to do a bench test. They're going to do a practical on you. You have to show some type of skill to get into the team. So I was like, wow, I was a little nervous about that. Uh, she's like, it's nothing different than what you do for your practicals when you're finishing up a course or a class. I was like, all right, cool. She sets me up on an interview. I go into the hotel and I remember going in through the security, then the loading dock area and going right into the kitchen. And I remember to this day, they were really busy. It was like people running around in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I ran into uh, that time, um, the uh, culinary coordinator was uh, Cecilia. And uh, I go into the office, I'm looking for the chef. She's like, okay, well, which chef? There's a lot of chefs. I'm like, well, uh, Ted Peters. And Ted Peters comes, he's like running around. He's like, listen, we got two receptions going on right now. You got two options. You can sit down here and look at magazines, or if you want, come help me in the kitchen. We do the reception and we can do your interview. So I thought that was like my first, my first true, true test. You know, it was like, do I want to sit down in the office and look at magazines or do I want to go and, and help out? And I told the chef, chef, I'll follow you. Just lead me, lead the way. So he set me up. We did this reception, did a bunch of hors d'oeuvres. And I was in my, in my head, this was the first time I was in really volume, large kitchen. I was like a cloud nine. I loved every second of it, right? Seeing the, the, the commotion, the hot boxes running one side to another side, people pulling things out of the oven, one shut screaming from one corner to another, like, Hey, take this out or Hey, do this. I loved it. So then we go into the, to the kitchen, uh, to the office, do the interview. And he's like, listen. I need to know by, by tomorrow, if you want us to consider you for an internship. And I felt such a rush and it, it was all good feelings. I was like, you know what? I told the chef, I'm, I can give you my answer right now. I want to do it. And I started December 3rd in 2003. That was my first day officially as an intern at Los Miami Beach Hotel. That's intense, man. See, you, if you were someone who picked a magazine, your whole life would yeah, have been different. Probably would still be looking at magazines somewhere right now. <laughs> That's amazing. So you yeah. did your internship there, but you didn't have a 
Did you continue on after the internship? What happens? Yeah. So I, my internship was three months. So my first month I started. So if you, if you remember anything about the business at Lowe's, you know, December it is really busy times for Lowe's. Specifically, you know, the, the pool and beach where we kind of both got our, our start. So my first restaurant was Nautilus. That was my first month. And I remember doing thousand covers literally every day. So I went from not really working in a volume kitchen to obviously working in a kitchen that did really good food at a very fast pace, high quality, high volume, everything made in the kitchen. I remember going through four cases of avocados to make guacamole for my station every day with Chef Serapio. The salsa, uh, I mean, I, I remember all of it vividly. You know, that was my first experience. Then, and for listeners, I just want to make sure for those not familiar with Lowe's Maya Beach Hotel, you know that I've worked there a bunch and that's where Chef Jorge and I have met. But it's 800 rooms, 100,000 plus square feet of banquet space, and like the hotel on South Beach. And so it just pumps all the time. So he was in the poolside kitchen, which had no air conditioning at the time. Back then, <laughs> correct. Awesome. Yeah. It was a dungeon, <laughs> but so after my first month there, I remember one day after one of the busy days, Chef Mark pulls me aside and I'm thinking like, oh man, I and think Chef, Chef gonna Mark, you got to introduce us to Chef so, Mark. So Chef Mark at the time was the executive chef for those Maya Beach Hotel. He would later become one of my mentors in my career and really someone that uh, from very early on, I looked up to as a, as a professional and really as a, as a a leader, if you will. So, uh, he pulls me to the side and you know, we, we head back towards, uh, the little alleyway that you, you go through the back of the house to get back into the main kitchen. So I'm thinking he's letting me go. Like I must've done something wrong. You know, he's telling me you're not finishing your internship. And he tells me, listen, there's been an, uh, an issue or not an issue. Somebody got hurt at Preston's, right. And we need somebody to fill in while this person, uh, you know, gets better. So I was like, okay, cool. He's like, you're going to start working tomorrow. You'll work the dinner service and uh, it'll be part of your internship. And then from there, we'll probably put you in banquets or in garmage after that. So you kind of get an idea of, of all our departments. So I was like, great. So I worked presence for another month. I worked room service line. And at that time, there was one room service cook and you had three other cooks, one doing saute, one doing grill, and then one doing pantry. So if, if um, you know, it's funny, I'm thinking of the guys that I started with. It was Alex Cook, who owns his own restaurant now, Temple Street area in Fort Lardo. Jean-Luc, which Jean-Luc now is uh, the executive chef in a, in a hotel in Houston. And uh, who was the other one? There was actually a couple other ones, but uh, I can't think of the other cook. But, you know, in essence, what I'm trying to say is these are people that we all kind of started at the same time. And today, you know, we, we are still in the business at a very high level, you know. Mm -hmm. All that, yeah, absolutely. So I, I did that for a month and, and I kind of got to see a different point of the hotel and, and real di difference in, in business level as well, you know, and, and understanding if it was raining, how much busier room service was, if it wasn't raining and so on and so forth, you know, and, and just the chaos, you know, at times when everybody would come in at the same time. Um, and then from there, I, I got into banquet. And I think that's truly what kind of changed my, my outlook as to how I look at the business and what I really wanted to do at that time. Uh, and then after my internship ended at the third month, uh, they offered me a job to start full time. I took it. I, I was just like, every day was, a, I was learning something new and I just loved it, you know, and I was there 
almost five and a half years, give or take. Yeah. So you were there six years. You grew. I met you. Yeah. I started there in 2005. And, yeah. you know, we kind of, we talked, but not like all the time there, but we, we yeah. were there. Like we you were, yeah. you were doing Garmage and mm-hmm. I saw you growing. I was growing. We yeah. all growing at the same time there. But yeah. then we all kind of started to leave around the same time. You left before me. So you left yeah. in January 2009 and made a mm-hmm. pretty big jump because it was a, why don't you yeah. tell us what happened? Yeah. So, uh, you know, before I left, you know, a few of the other chefs had started to leave. So at that time, towards that time, Aquilina in Sunny House had opened. So Ted Peters had left there. He was the opening executive chef. Miguel Santiago, who at that time was the banquet chef, had left with Ted Peters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the chefs started, you know, to kind of go on their own path, if you will, as well. And um, at that time, Chef Rafael, who was at that time the executive sous chef, he left. So he gives me a call. He's like, hey, listen, I'm opening a hotel. Do you want to try something different? And I had never opened the hotel, really. I mean, those was my first and only hotel up until that point, really. So yep. I hadn't experienced that. So I, I took the opportunity and, and I felt it was the, the right thing to do, having seen so many people leave and do other things, right? Uh, and then in retrospect, there wasn't really much time down to Rose at the time because Chef Mark had, had left the, about a year or two before. Mm-hmm. Um, he had officially become our corporate chef for Lowe's and he moved, I think, to Arizona. So he was based out of Arizona. Yeah. And at that point, Gordon Mayberry came in. And then Gordon, you know, fast forward today, another mentor of mine, someone that I look up to as a leader as well. Staying and, yeah. and a former podcast guest, Chef Gordon. We give a shout out yeah. to Chef Gordon. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and I enjoyed my time, you know, working with Gordon as well. But it, it came to a point where, I've been there so long, I was doing the same thing. And then I kind of looked around the kitchen and there was a lot of people that had been there since the hotel had opened uh, at, at that point, uh, I think. Uh, 10 years. Eight, yeah. 10 years, eight, eight, 10, yeah, mm-hmm. 10 years. I was like, you know what? I want to try something different. And I uh, went to open the W Fort Lauderdale. And I think that really catapulted my career to a point because it just put me on a different mindset of how you operate. You know, those was high volume, big numbers, you produced in large quantities. And then here, the team that I worked with taught me, listen, this is much smaller hotel. Think of it as a restaurant. So even the way we prepped, the way we ordered was completely different. So even that I learned. And to that day, to, to this day, sorry, um, it's how I practice my kitchen organization. I look at the days of the W Fort Lardo because that was my biggest transition into what I was doing. No, that was a special place too, because that was the first W that opened up. It was like W Fort Lauderdale, and then a month later W South Beach. So like the first W yeah. in South Florida that opened. So yeah, you're part of a yeah. special team. But then I don't know this part of your story. Maybe you've told me, but mm-hmm. you end up back with the Lowe's. What happens? Yeah. So um, at some point, I get a phone call from from Rafael. He's like, "Listen, I might be going to Atlanta. I applied for um, for Lowe's Atlanta." So I was like, okay. So at this time, Rafael and I were working at the W. He was the executive chef. I was the banquet chef. But he calls me one day. He's like, listen, I'm flying to Atlanta. I'm doing my tasting. If you're interested, apply. It'd be great to, to continue working together. So I call Chef Mark. I'm like, hey, I, I just found out from Rafael that, you know, he's going to Atlanta. He's like, yeah, love to have you apply. So I applied. I get a phone call a couple of weeks later uh, from an Atlanta number. And it's a chef, Olivia Gopin. And I'm like so confused because I thought it was Rafael. And um, Olivia calls me, he's like, listen, I'm the executive chef for Lowe's Atlanta. Uh, Chef Mark has spoken great things about you. I have your resume. I'd like to 
interview you for this role, yada, yada. So we talked for about an hour and basically at the end of the conversation, he was telling me, you know, if you want the job, the job's worse. I just need to know if you're, you're, you're wanting to come here. So I was so confused. I go back, I talk to Rafa. I was like, hey, what happened? He's like, well, it was two candidates, I guess. Uh, he did better than I did or however it happened, you know, I, I think at that time I was a bit naive as to, you know, how sometimes the political aspect of our business works, right. And it's knowing the right people, I think yeah. at times as well. Yeah. And, um, it, it was like, do I stay or do I explore this opportunity? You know? And I said, you know what? I've already opened one hotel. How hard could it be to open another one? And this is in a different, a different city. I hadn't been out of South Florida really. So I was like, you know what? I want to take the opportunity. And I took the opportunity and I, I ended up being at Lowe's Atlanta for about nine months, close to a year. And it was great. It, it taught me a lot about starting a team from scratch in a city that you don't know, right? So you're really solely basing your decision to hire somebody on, on that interaction you have. You know nothing about them from their past because you're new to the town, you're new to the city. You don't have someone you can reach out to and get references, right? So it taught me a little bit about being resourceful as well. And then, you know, the importance that networking uh, would have in, in my career later on, right? Uh, how important it was to, when you get to a new place, start reaching out and start making friends around you so that things are a little bit easier for you. And so you're there, you do your nine months, almost a year. Yeah. Then what happens? It's just not the fit anymore. Or you're like, hey, someone knocks on your door because you end up yeah, in a very would. different place. Yes, it was that, you know, so I mentioned his name a lot, but it was someone that, you know, I enjoyed working with. Rafael calls me. He's like, listen, I'm in Puerto Rico. So I was like, what are you doing in Puerto Rico? <laughs> yeah, like, what happened? He's like, I'm opening up the St. Regis in Puerto Rico. I'm working with Starwood. And, and I know you've always wanted to work in Puerto Rico. I have one opportunity left on the team. Would you, would you consider it? Man, in a heartbeat, I was like, wow, yes, I'll do it. So I went, I, I talked to Chef Olivier and I thought it was going to be one of those hardest conversations I probably would have had. Right. And all I remember was Olivier telling me, listen, if I was in your shoes, I would have, I would have taken it. You know, it's, it's the right thing. You're young. You got to learn if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. You know, learn as much as you can now, because later in the future, you're not going to be able to jump around as much. And then also selfishly, Chef Mark at the time had officially left Lowe's. He had also kind of went on to a different company. Mm -hmm. So again, there wasn't anything that really, I felt like, well, you know, this keeps me here. It wasn't about that, you know? So I think it was more about that experience and, and to continue, you know, learning more about the business that I enjoyed, you know? It's so a I, great place to be. St. Regis, five-star, five-diamond hotel. Five-star, five-diamond hotel. Yeah. Um, that was a beautiful experience. Uh, I, I was able to work in my home country be able to be with family that I didn't really see much and then really open up the most luxurious hotel in Puerto Rico, period. You know, um, it was such a great experience and how we were uh, building the team, finding the ingredients. We had a John George restaurant on site and then just the, the, the culture that, that we had, it was so strong and it was so focused on making a difference. And, and I really learned a lot in that property. And so for me, you know, you're executive sous chef. So for listeners, that's basically the number two, the right hand yep. executive chef in that hotel. Mm -hmm. But you hadn't worked in, you've worked in luxury hotels. But that's like at another level of luxury. Yeah. Was there a big difference for you in seeing that? Yeah, there was. You know, here, when you're talking about um, orientation or right before the, the 10 days of countdown, right? When the hotel's about to open, 
all the trainings were about luxury. So it was Forbes training. It was a sequence of service. It was all the steps from the moment a guest pulled up to the porter cashier to the point that you're handing them their bill to end dinner, right? So you, you learned and you looked at every single aspect of that. And it was all the details, you know, how we're putting the, the condiments in a caddy, how we're presenting things that are unique to us because we're in, we're in a specific country. So we want to tie in the local culture, all the little details we looked at from A to Z. And I think that was the biggest difference, right? Where I think working at Lowe's, working at, at the W and working at uh, Lowe's Atlanta up in that point, these were big hotels. Yeah, you looked at the details, but not to that, that process, mm-hmm. right? Like every single step of the way was looked at, you know, um, that, it taught me a lot. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize the difference between a four-star and a five-star and how much detail. Like I learned that while going to Mandarin. Like that was Mandarin Oriental five-star and U.S. St. Regis. You know, mm-hmm. we got our five-star training and then our cross yeah. paths again, right? So we yeah. our, our paths cross. But I want to know, yeah. you know, I know, but I want our listeners to know, how did we end up together at the Viceroy of Miami? How did you decide to leave Puerto Rico where you wanted to be for so long? Why come back into Miami? Yeah. So I was, um, you know, at the time I was in a long distance relationship with my now wife. Right. And we were at a point in, in our lives that we're like, listen, what are we doing? You know, are we taking this to another step? Are we making it more serious? And it's hard to do that, you know, when you're so far away from each other. Right. So in my head, I was like, you know what? I got to get back stateside and, and, and kind of, you know, settle down if you will. I've been kind of here and there. It's time to settle down and, and get home. Right. Miami always holds a special place in, in my heart, right? And, and even today with my job now flying so much, every time I fly back home, I get such excitement going through when I see the, the skyline over the plane and things like that. So uh, it was time to come home. And I think at that point, you know, I think you posted something or we were in contact. You were looking for somebody to bring onto the team at the Vice in Miami. I reached out to you and, and you told me, hey, fly over. Let's do, let's do it, you know? I interviewed, I did my tasting and I got the job and we started working together once more. Now I look back on that place fondly, you know, it was, a, yeah. it was, I think a place we were two young guys at the time. So it's 10 years ago. We were, I was yeah. just turning 29 or 30. Yeah. Um, so maybe not that young, but it felt young. But what do you remember from those days as working at the Viceroy? Cause in my head, that was really the first time, not on paper, but you were really executive chef, even though. Yeah. There was no executive chef at that hotel. Yeah. So I I think that opportunity really, really allowed me to put into play all the things that I had learned, all the scenarios that I'd gone through, you know, yeah, we had an executive chef, but you know, um, he, he was a bit disconnected from, from the operation and, you know, you and I were, were making a lot of the big decisions, you know, so I thought that having that happen working with the different departments, the bank with the restaurants, starting up the EOS cafe, I remember, which was nothing to what we turned it into. It really showed us how to use our skill set that we learned through the years, you know, and, and though, if you were to ask me, has that been one of the best opportunities in my career? It probably hasn't. But when I look at what I took out of there, what I was able to, to do out of there, it allowed me to learn for free, make mistakes for free, right? Because you're pretty certain we made quite a bit of them, right? Yeah. In repositioning the restaurants when you were launching brunch and all that, we had no, no guidance really, if you will. There wasn't anybody above us. No, you and I guiding us. It was you and I trying to figure it out, you know? 
And I think that that um, allowed us to be more resourceful and, and really a bit more on, on the entrepreneur side of our, of our uh, skill set kind of developed a little bit through there. Yeah. And, and for the listeners out there, this was like coming out of 2008, it was like about 2010, you know, economy's not great. So there's not much money in this hotel that may or may not go bankrupt, yeah. Yeah. right? It's now the W Brickle, so you can see Viceroy didn't make it, but the chef and I had to figure out how to get tools and stuff without money and we and how to barter with vendors. I learned how to barter yeah. with vendors there. Yeah. And I'm sure you learned a lot. Like what, yeah. what was something that you learned that made you maybe a better chef today from that hotel? So I, I think um, one thing that, that I, I was able to do there was bring two young chefs from Puerto Rico. Oh, to yeah. Miami. So I was able to recruit my own team or build my own team with two people that at the time I had just finished working with in Puerto Rico. And I thought these were young kids that had such potential, right? I could have easily said, nah, who cares? I'll move on. I'll find people here. But they made such an impact in my work while I was in Puerto Rico. I felt these kids have the future ahead of them. And I thought back as to how Chef Mark and, and Ted Peters and Miguel and all the great chefs that I worked with at the Lowe's in my early years gave me an opportunity and took a chance on me. So I was able to work out to be able to hire them and bring them in from Puerto Rico. And that on its own, building a team, teaching them, right? Because also a culture shock, right? Being able to be that, that kind of cross of like, hey, I know Miami, this is the business. You're coming from Puerto Rico. This is what you don't know. This is how you got to look at things, right? So those are some of those special things. Um, hey, give, them, give them a shout out because they're both great chefs now. Yeah. So uh, Nelson Lopez, he's now the executive chef at the Conrad Fort Lauderdale, which is the property that I was at before. And then Jorge Negron. Um, I don't know exactly the place where Jorge Negron is, but Jorge Negron, uh, I mean, he worked with me at the one hotel. Then after that, he was leading the Jeffrey Zakarin Russian that was at the Diplomat. Mm-hmm. Um, then he was the executive chef at the Traymore Mary Beach working with Michael Schwartz. So both of them have lots to be, to be proud of. You know, these are kids that came here, not really knowing the language, not really knowing our local Miami culture and, and really excelled. And both of them are working at very high levels to today. Yeah, I, I remember that clearly. You just jogged my memory. Those guys came in and it was like bringing in the ringers. Right, yeah. like off the bench, like we had no talent, and they came in and was like all of a sudden elevated everything. And so I look back at some pictures of what we were doing back then, especially during like Easter and brunch, yeah. and like the crazy mm-hmm. plates we were putting out, and no one to tell yeah. us yes or no. And so that was yeah, probably one of the more fun things. But again, like you said, we weren't being taught; we were learning ourselves yeah. and teaching each other. So yeah, love that. But then we both leave the same month. Mm-hmm. So yeah. sorry to, to Laurence. Yeah, it was the general manager. We loved you, but it was time for us to go. Uh, but where did you go after we So one of the things that I missed while I was at Vistor, I missed that, that, and even through the years, right? Because when, when I did all this jumping around to the W and Lowe's Atlanta and things like that, there was something missing. You know, deep down, I was missing that structure that I got from Lowe's Miami. I think Lowe's Miami, and you see it today, it's one of the better ran hotels, even after so many years, right? It's an institution. And I missed that. So I, I was looking for that. And um, I had seen an opportunity to join Ritz-Carlton South Beach. I applied, I interviewed, I had to do a tasting where the chef wanted me to lay out. As soon as we finished the interview, he wanted the menu then and there. That's how he did it. He didn't want to give me a bunch of days to figure it out. He's like, no, write your menu, write your market list. Tell me what you need. So, okay, cool. I did that. 
And then I came back a couple of days later. I did my tasting. I got the job and I was there at Ritz Carlton for a little over two years. And I really, what, what I was looking for, I got there. I got that, that structure. I got that sense of uh, family, if you will, right? Because a lot of the people that I worked with there were some people that I worked with at Lowell. So it, it just, it, it hit all the points that I, at that point in my career I was looking for. And then it also continued to teach me things about the business that I was not very strong at to some extent. You know, the executive chef um, at Risk Crowd South Beach at that time was a Mo Arverwall, someone that I still keep in touch with now. He was very financially savvy. He knew his P&Ls in and out. He knew his operation. Uh, he taught me that. He taught me about the importance of controlling your checkbook. You're looking at your checkbook weekly, looking through your POs, making sure the inventories are right, looking at what all the chefs were ordering individually because ultimately that was going to affect the food cost. So he taught me a lot about the business day to day. A lot of people don't know about that. They think it's just you're cooking and putting out plates. The hardest part about being a high-level chef yeah, labor. So he taught me all of those things. And, you know, he told me, hey, when when I go on vacation, you need to go to the meetings that I go to. You need to go sit down in labor review. You need to go sit down in the EC meeting and talk with the rest of the exec committee about the issues that are happening in the hotel, things that we're working on to ensure guest satisfaction, you know, and, and you got to continue the business. So he was one of the first chefs that kind of believed in me without knowing if I can do it or not. He just believed in me hundred percent just because he felt you have to do it. You're the executive sushi. And then you okay. grow, you continue to grow there. And I remember yeah. then you first got your real yeah. official executive chef job. Yeah. And, and it wasn't uh, the biggest hotel, but a Ritz Carlton no. Mill Harbor. And what was that like? Cause it kind of went back to like a Viceroy size hotel, a little smaller yeah. almost, right? Really, really small. So at, at that time, um, the same ownership from Ritz Carlton South Beach purchased that hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, that hotel was many different things before. And, and I think the location really made sense for it to become a luxury hotel like the Ritz Carlton. And, um, at that time, the director of food and beverage, um, Winfred Van Workham, who today is the, I think the area GM for St. Regis and W, uh, South beach, nice. was the director of food and beverage. And then he got promoted to hotel manager there and he kind of wanted uh, a chef that he kind of had already worked with. It was the same ownership. So to some degree, some of the exec roles were complex roles. Mm -hmm. So it, it just felt like the right opportunity. It allowed me to grow one step more. I was still attached to, you know, the mother property bureau, which was Ritz Carlton South Beach. So I knew I still had the support from my old team. So really there was like um, repositioning that hotel because what it was to what it needed to be was very different, you know, and, and there I got my first true taste of interacting with a corporate team, with corporate Marriott team, like the area vice presidents, the senior vice presidents of food and beverage, the corporate chef, dealing with them in the sense, okay, this is what we're doing, talking about strategy, repositioning. So I think that taught me a lot about that relationship, right? Managing down which with your line level staff, your mid managers, but then also managing up, mm -hmm. right? You got to be able to have a relationship with your, your corporate support team as well. So that opportunity or in that hotel, I really learned a lot about that. And then, so you then make a jump and this was an interesting one. I remember you and I yeah. talking about it mm -hmm. and you know, you go to the one hotel South beach and I think yeah. that was the first one hotel, right? Was that the it first? Was, yeah. First. And so for listeners, check out the one hotel South beach. It's actually one of my favorite places to visit, um, but they're blowing up all over and you were yeah. part of the first team. 
And yeah. tell me about that. Why did you make that move? So there, my connection was the director of HR, Jorge Maldonado. Today, he's the director of HR at Dorado Beach, a Ritz-Carlton Reserve Hotel in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. It's one of the premier hotels in Puerto Rico to this day now. Um, so Jorge reached out to me and said, hey, we have an opportunity here for an executive chef. I said, okay. He's like, would you be interested? I was like, well, Jorge, you know, I, I kind of just got this opportunity. I don't know. I'm ready to, to really be the executive chef of another hotel that, you know, one, I don't know the brand and it seems like it's a lot bigger. He's like, why don't you come and check it out? So I go, I interview, I meet the managing director at the time, the hotel manager. I tour the property. At this point, the property was very rough construction. It wasn't anywhere near being done. So this is the very early stage. I remember visiting you. It was like the yeah. shell of the old Gansevoort becoming yep. the one hotel. Yeah. So some time passes by and then I get a phone call from, from the managing director and say, hey, listen, we're, we don't think you're the right fit just because ownership is looking for more of a celebrity chef just based on the signature restaurant chef, which is going to be Tom Kalika. So at that point I learned, oh, okay, so they're going to have a Tom Kalika restaurant. Okay, makes sense. You know, I'm a local kid, local chef at the time from, from South Beach or, or Miami, if you will. So I understood that. A week or two later, I get a call back from the director. I was like, listen, there's an opportunity for someone like you to join the Tom Coleco team. We want you to meet the executive chef. He's looking for the number two in his team. What do you think? I was like, Jorge, you know, I, I kind of just went to this interview. I'm, I'm okay here at the, at the, at the hotel three. It's, you know, it's, it's good. It's small. We're doing good things. He's like, listen, just try it. You'll meet him. You're going to love him. She's all right, cool. So I remember this, it was like a Thanksgiving, 2015 or 14 Thanksgiving weekend, right before Thanksgiving. So I meet with Chef Michael, uh, Michael Fiorello, who's now the culinary officer for Delivery Lee. Wow. And um, he, uh, he talks to me about the restaurant. He's like, listen, we're all going for, he's like, I'm assuming you as well. We're all going for Thanksgiving weekend. We're all going to be busy. I come back next week. Why don't we reconvene next week? One of Tom's partners is in. You interview with him. He's technically the, the final say and go from there. So then I go back the following week. I meet with this, this chef, Sasha, I forget his last name, but at the time he was one of uh, Tom's partners in, in the business. And, uh, we talked to Sasha and talk about the food. We talk about the kitchen and we kind of hit it off and they offered me the job. So I was like, wow, okay. So here's interesting. Am I taking a step back or is this a step forward? Because I'm really focusing on a part of the business that I really hadn't done. This was working at a restaurant, not working at the hotel, right? And, um, you know, I, I spoke to a couple of people. I think I spoke to you about the opportunity yeah. to, to Chef Mark and a couple of my other chefs. And, and they said, listen, you know what? It, it, it doesn't sound like a step back. It really sounds like you're going to another part of the business that you don't really, you've never really explored. You haven't really done. So you should try it. So I, I went full, full force. I, I took the role and... That was such a, a great experience from building the team, from obstacles that we went through, um, not opening the restaurant on time or disaster that happened our opening night, what we did with the team after that. Like there were so many ups and downs. Ultimately, it just, it, it, it was a very good experience, if you will. Uh, opening night, I remember we caught, we, uh, we had a fire in our grill. We had a wood burning grill. And they shut down the restaurant for, for months. And then we needed to reconfigure our operation because the hotel needed to open, right? The hotel was open. They weren't going to wait for us. So we had to shift our operations. We're cooking. Hold on. So opening night, the restaurant burned down? 
restaurant caught fire, the hoods. So that whole, the Ansel system caught fire because um, there, there was something, since we're burning, it was wood and charcoal, I guess the Ansel system or the buffers in the hood system weren't necessarily designed the right way. And they, it oh, created some yeah. type of uh, electrical fire somewhere. This was above our pay grade. This was no culinary wrongdoing. This is more of a... Are you sure you didn't throw some fire on something? We're, we're pretty pretty certain it wasn't a... Right. Um, so opening but, uh, night, a fire breaks out, celebrities, yeah. everyone in there. Awesome. Yeah. Sucks. We, had to, yeah, uh, we waited two, 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 three months, I think we waited to reopen the restaurant. And we were tasked to, to continue operations in different ways. And again, this is just curveballs that were thrown that, that allow you to put all the things you've learned at play. You know, we, we didn't complain about it, right? There's yeah. nothing we can control. It's something that happened and we needed to take care of the guests and make money. At the end of the day, it's a business, right? And you'll hear this. A lot of people say, no, I, I want to focus on the guest or I want to focus on the cooking that I want to do. Listen, at the end of the day, we do it for two reasons. One, to take care of the guest and two, to, to create experiences that will get the guests to come back. And if you do both of those things right, then technically you're fulfilling everything else, right? You're taking care of things that you want to do, right? It, having that money coming in, having guests coming in allows you to be able to do more. So it, it, it's a cycle, right? If you take care of certain things, ultimately it'll take care of, of itself and you'll be happy. That's the way that I look at it. Well, you're part of the opening team of really a, a hotel that's changing the way a lot of people do business. It was a first sustainable hotel. I remember yeah. all the cool things that you were doing there, like had your own garden and yep. a lot of awesome things. And, yep. you, and you make a name for yourself there. And mm -hmm. I think a familiar name comes knocking on your door again, right? Yeah. Back so, uh, to the Conrad Hotel. So what happened? Yeah. So Chef Mark, which I've mentioned quite a bit already through this time that we've been discussing, uh, you know, my, my career path. But Chef Mark, a couple of years before, joins Hilton as their corporate chef at the time. And they're opening up this luxury hotel. We have this conversation about the opportunity. And we, we kind of put it out there, but it was kind of like, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be a, a tough role, right? Because there's two different ownership groups. There might be a third party for the restaurant. You know, it'll be similar to your setup in Puerto Rico. So we think you might be the right fit, but let's see how it goes. So I was like, all right, perfect. So I was really interested in this because it was an opportunity to get into true luxury, I feel, right? Smaller hotel. So what I've learned, and this is what we're, we're, you find your niche, right? If you're happy doing a certain amount of things in the operation, you can't do this, those all those great things you want to do in really large hotels. So you, you got to find that happy medium. So I found that my happy medium was hotels between like 300 rooms and 400. So this was a 290 room hotel, perfect size, mm -hmm. small, but still big enough that you still had some good banquet space. So you can still do a lot of cool things. So it was, for me, it felt like the perfect opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I get the job after I do my tastings, I do all my interviews. And this, this is the Conrad is, Fort Lauderdale. Conrad Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. this, this is my true first executive chef, right? The Ritz-Carlton Ball Harbor was, but it was still attached to, to South Beach. So I felt that that was not such an official exec chef role, if you will. So this was my true opportunity to kind of establish what the culinary food and beverage program is going to be, hire my team from scratch, build a program, build a culture. Uh, this was it. This was like, the opportunity for me. And my first day at work, I greeted, I'm greeted to lunch and the hotel manager tells me, Hey, you're going to have to task force. 
the hotel's delayed for two years. I'm like, oh man, oh, what what do you mean two years? How does that happen? Right? He's like, ah, some funding issues. Hopefully, it's not that long, but we're forecasting it to be that long. So I said, okay, two things I can do now: not figure it out, find another job, or do task force. So I spoke with Chef Mark about it. He's like, listen, if you're okay traveling, there's lots of work to do. So for 19 months, I task forced around the country, opening hotels, transitioning hotels, rebranding hotels, just doing A through Z with the corporate food and beverage team. Those 19 months that I spent on the road taught me so much that I perhaps, if, if, if the hotel would have opened on time, I would have never learned what I learned in those 19 months. Uh, it taught me about interacting with different teams. I was working from Las Vegas to Aruba, right? Challenging, challenging all my skills, really. So I'm grateful for that. So that was the, my first opportunity. And eventually, once we opened the hotel, I was there for four, five and a half years. And you were married at that time because I was at yeah. your wedding. So how does that conversation happen? Is it like your supportive wife? Because she's in the industry or she was in the industry. She was, yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I can't complain. My, my wife has been my, my support. She's been someone that has always cheered me on. Even if, uh, you know, she thinks, hey, listen, I don't, not 100% sure, but if this is something you want to do, let's try it, right? She's always had that team mentality, right? And um, at that time, if I recall correctly, we just had Sebastian and, and Gabby. Gabby, I think she was maybe, I don't know, six or maybe like seven or eight. Sebastian was a baby. So I was traveling, then Abigail, Abigail came and I remember I was opening up a hotel in West Palm Beach. Sebastian might've been one or two and then Abby was a few months old. So on the weekends they come, they stay at the hotel with me and they kind of hang out by the pool. I would work. And then at nighttime we go walk around West Palm Beach and that's how we made the best of it. You know, and then I was able to spend some time locally as well. Uh, I spent three months at Diplomat, the three months I spent opening up Hilton West Palm Beach. So. Those months helped me out, but there was other months, you know, I spent three months at Aruba on and off. So those were tough, right? Because I was gone for so long. On an island. Yeah. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Barbara. You know, you're awesome. And I know you've always been a big cheerleader for, for Jorge. So shout out to Barbara if you're listening to this one. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Red. But she's been a supporter, you know, and even even today, the job that I have today, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, Monday through Friday, basically, you can say she's a, a single mom because I travel. And we'll come back to that because I know you have a hard stop. So you're at the Conrad, yeah. you're, you're executive chef for five years, right? So you really yeah. put your stamp on that place once it finally opens. You yeah. do a great job. And then I thought this was so cool. You get really a promotion. So tell me about that promotion. So Conrad, I get, I get this promotion um, uh, to be the director of food and beverage and culinary. That was one of the hardest decisions. The GM, uh, Chinton, who, who's now in New York City, one of my great friends in this business and one of my biggest supporters. Um, believe that I can do the great things that I had accomplished at the coloring team, I could do at the front of the house, right? I didn't really know much about front of the house. And I did it for two years, but I think the two years that I did this role, every day I was learning something. So many, so many things happened at that time, good and bad, that, you know, all I can think of is uh, it, it's a hum it was a humbling experience, right? Because through that, the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. I literally furloughed my whole team, about 90 team members. It's the hardest and thing you probably had to do ever. That sucked it, uh, for me too. For this, to this point, it's probably been the hardest thing I've done in my career, period. Lots of tears, um, 
lots of doubt, right? Was there anything that I could have done better to prevent some of these things? You know, and, and with time, you figure out there was nothing you could have done. And at the end of the day, if you had a good culture, if you treated your, your team right, once everybody started coming back, it was, it was good. You know, and I think that's what I went through. You know, we, we lost some people along the way just because they ended up doing their own thing and starting their own businesses, which I loved about that. I loved that part of it. And then we were able to welcome most of the team back. You know, if you go back to, if I go to uh, Conrad Fortardo, most of the original team is back. But very humbling experience. You know, I had to learn writing wine lists, uh, writing cocktail menus, uh, seasonal cocktail menus, how that would interplay into our banquet offerings, our catering packages, our wedding packages, so much. And you have to deal with a different style of employee, right? The front yeah. of house team is much different than the back of house team. What did you say yeah. about that? It, it, my, my first couple of months, it was hard because I, I looked at everything from the scope of a chef, right? Mm -hmm. And then at some point, things just started to click in a different light. I was like, wait, it's this, we got to look at it at the end of the day. It's the, the same way. We're servicing one person. It's the guest. Mm -hmm. So if, if a server is asking for something of a cook, the cook thinks, oh, that's just because you want it. No, the guest needs it, you know? So it was, it, it's a shift in culture. So I think I knew then. When, when I started seeing the little issues that we were having, it's like, I need to change the culture from both the back of the house team to how they view the front of the house team and the culture of how the front of the house team looks at the back of the house team. So I feel in those two years that I had this role, we were able to really connect the two teams and really make them one. Regardless, the pandemic happened and it was mandatory. We needed to look at things different. Otherwise, we would never survive. And we did. true. Yeah, man, so, you really did. And I, I kept saying the reviews were great and you were crushing it. And this one surprised me. So then yeah. you make a move to really a standalone company. Yeah. Give me, give me the one minute download on this because I want to yeah. get into what you're doing now. Yeah. So Bodega happened. So again, one big part that I still didn't get out of my system through the pandemic, it was hard. I was home so long. I, I questioned, like, should there be something else I could be doing in our business? Like, I see so many people taking on different chances and different opportunities. There's got to be something different that I can do, you know? At the same time, we're welcoming back the management team. And I felt bad for the management team because they were coming back, but they were kind of frustrated. They've been there so long as well. They, they were looking for new opportunities as well. So I said, listen, if I stay here any longer, I'm going to lose them. Then I'm going to have to rebuild a team. So maybe the one that should leave is me so that they can continue to grow. So I really felt wow. that, you know, and I had that conversation with, with Chef Mark and you know, he, he kind of saw parts of that and said, you know, maybe you're right. If it's the right opportunity for you, try it. If not, then you got to look at it a different way. So I, I met with, with the team there and I just really felt, you know, I, I, I hit it off with the team. I just felt it was a good opportunity to, to kind of uh, take and, and kind of explore, you know, and I ended up doing that for about a year as their director of culinary. At the time when I joined the team there, they had two bodegas. They had uh, South Beach and they had just opened Fort Lauderdale a few months before. In my time with them, we opened up Aventura, West Palm Beach, and kind of did the legwork to kind of establish a system where they can continue to open their next few ones. They just opened up Coconut Grove. They got Coral Gables coming up. Chicago's under the works and they're expanding. You're going to see a lot of bodegas coming up. Uh, but it was a great time. It taught me about a, a whole different set of skills that I had never kind of had a chance to, to, um, solidify in the work that I did in hotels, you know? Yeah. Cause a standalone restaurant group, right? So right. 
there is no hotel to back you up. There are no nope. guests in the rooms that come down that you can guarantee nope. to be there. So it's nope. really, you got to drive that business. Yeah. So it was, it was a great experience. Uh, but then, you know, quickly, and, and I have a few more minutes. We can extend a little okay. longer. Actually, I'll tell you the, the long story. I try to be as quick as possible because I, I think. Oh, you can go as long as you want. I'm here. I, I can tell you this story. It's very special. And um, so it's my dad's birthday this uh, past uh, February. So at that time, we were about to open up Bodega West Palm Beach. So I told my dad, hey, listen, Barbara and the kids are here. I'm showing them around Bodega. Why don't you come? We'll have dinner at Hilton West Palm Beach. Another friend of ours, Guillermo, was the chef at, at uh, Hilton West Palm Beach. So I reached out to Guillermo. Hey, it's my dad's birthday. I want to see you for dinner. So we're there for dinner. And Guillermo tells me, hey, did you hear the news? I'm like, what news? He's like, Chef Mark is retiring. I'm like, no, I didn't hear that. Obviously, I don't work for Hilton anymore. So if there was some type of official communication, I wouldn't have figured that out. So I text Chef. I was like, hey, is there something you have to tell me? He's like, yeah, I'll be there next week. Can you pick me up from the airport how you always did? I was Chef Mark's uh, chauffeur whenever he flew. Yeah, whenever he flew into to South, South Florida, I was always the chef to pick him up and take him to the hotels that he needed to visit. Uh, so I was like, okay. So I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to bug him about the question again. He'll be here next week. We'll talk about it next week. So I pick him up. We have a cup of coffee. Then we have lunch at a hotel in, in West Palm Beach. And we start talking about, you know, his decision to retire and, and kind of all he's gone through the 11, almost 12 years that he worked with Hilton. And, you know, it, it was, it was time. And from that conversation, you know, there was things that he said, you know, we have a plan. We're looking at this system that we want to try. We want to look at it in a different way. And all this time, I was just happy for him because I was excited for everything he's done in our profession, but now to see what he would do retired, right? Uh, you know, Chef Mark, you know how passionate he is about a lot of things. And yep. he's got two, two granddaughters that, that um, you know, because of how much work he's done and flying and, and traveling, he didn't spend as much time. And now that his daughter, she's back stateside, he wants to spend more time with his family. So I felt that was the right time and it's the right thing for him to do. So I was just excited, you know, to hear all the things that he wanted to do and that he was planning with his free time. And then a couple of weeks later, he sends me an email. Hey, this is the opportunity that I talked to you about. So I was like, wait, hold on. This is the thing we talked about when we had lunch. He's like, yeah, take a look, see if you're interested. So it was an opportunity to, to join Hilton as director of culinary. So Chef Mark's role uh, up until last Friday or two Fridays ago when he officially retired uh, was vice president of culinary for the Americas. What Hilton decided to do was to reset that position. And instead of hiring one, hire two chefs in order to provide longevity for the role, right? So that means that in the two roles, they, they hired a senior director and a director. The senior director can aspire to be something higher. The director can aspire to be multiple positions that are higher and create longevity, right? When, when I look at around, around our, our corporate team and I look at corporate office, there's been a lot of people, there, there's a lot of people that have been around for a long time. One of the, the gentlemen on my team that I look up to as well, Gordon, he's been with the company close to 45 years. Wow. So when I was very early in this business, I didn't believe in, in longevity and being at a place for so long. But now at this point, knowing what I know about the business, I, I do, I value that. And I seek that. I seek being at one place for a longer period of time. We can make a bigger impact. People don't, don't realize that, right? If you're constantly leaving after a year or two years, what did you really impact? What did you really drive, right? 
in order for you to see something through, it needs to have some time. You need to have longevity in something. Give you an example. A lot of the work that I do today, I'm, I'm working on kitchen plans for hotels that aren't been open for five years. They haven't even broken ground. So think of how much time I'm, in, I'm investing now for the future. I want to be a part of that when the hotel opens. I want to see that kitchen face-to-face, how, how we worked as a team to design it, uh, how the concept that we discussed, you know, working with the different teams develops. I want to see that. So that's where longevity comes into play. So uh, I applied for the job after great conversations with Barbara, obviously, you know, and not understanding really that dynamic of what 60% travel meant, right? Mm -hmm. I went through eight interviews, different people throughout the organization. And then ultimately I was offered the job. But the special thing is that at some point I figured out that perhaps the other person applying for the job was Rafael. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know officially. Right. So at that time, Rafael was the executive chef at the Hilton Orlando, another hotel that we frequent a lot. Mega hotel. As a family, massive convention hotel. Um, so I was, we were there during the process. And then we're talking, and Barbara kind of threw this comment because she's like, I ha it has to be him. It has to be you and him. It can't be anybody else. If they're looking for two people, it's got to be both of you. So then she's like, listen, I got to go get one of the kids from my, my parents. So my, we're trying with my, my in-laws. So then she throws this comment as we're, Rafa and I are talking. She's like, can you guys just talk about the roles that you're applying and interviewing you are interviewing for? Because you guys are like so awkward about it. He thinks <laughs> it's you, you probably think it's him. Just talk about it. I'll see you guys later. So we start laughing because it's true at that point. We didn't know, but we felt it. And we talked about this and this is right at the end of the process. I think we had one interview left. So this is weeks, like a week or two before we got the job. Right. And we get the phone call, we got the job and fast forward to today. It's been about almost four months now. And man, what an experience it's been. It's, it's been great because. Hold on. He's there too. So Rafael is my boss. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This blows up everything. The, yeah. So he, you talk about the hospitality mentor. It shows that you yeah. have one of the best mentors in the entire industry and chef Mark yeah. Erler. Yeah. So it was something that I, I think, uh, chef Mark and, and our SVP of, of food and beverage, who someone that he's amazing. This, this gentleman is, is a, a book of knowledge and I love working with him. So having the opportunity to be on his team, um, was so exciting from day one when I got that opportunity. Uh, but yeah, so Rafael is our senior director of culinary. I'm the director of culinary. And we, we get to collaborate. You know, we're partners in crime and, and everything that we do that has to do with culinary for, for Hilton and in our uh, region, which is the Americas. So what does that job mean for you? What is your life like? That, that's what I'm curious. We haven't talked really since you got it. Like we, we text back no, and forth, no. but what is that job like for you? So in theory, uh, you can say it's, we're, we're the corporate chefs for, for the region, right? So Americas, that means that anything from Canada down to, you know, Chile, I think Rafael has two hotels. He's got uh, one hotel in, in Tahiti and Bora Bora, I want to say those were the two additions that now came into the Americas. So it's a pretty complex region, right? So it includes South America, Central America, Caribbean, all of the U S but you know, when I say that to people, they think, well, well, Hilton has like thousands of hotels. Like, right. We don't oversee all the hotels. We oversee full service, luxury managed hotels. So if it's a managed property by Hilton, we're involved. If it's a franchise, we, we, we're not involved with that. Got it. Um, 
So, so how many do you have in under your? So I think if I do the math correctly, I have about a hundred and. 50, 160 hotels, and then Rafa has about 120, give or take. Um, we have different disciplines within the world now that we've divided the region. So we we split the region. So the way that the region is split is we both have hotels in more or less the same places. So it doesn't end up where one of us is only in the West Coast, one of us is only at the East Coast. Because what that does is it divides the, the region. Now you're creating two companies, and that's not what they wanted to do. And by no means is what we want to do. We want to continue the collaborative effort and continue the great culture that Chef Mark set over the last 12 years. Mm. So what do I do? So anything from going into a property, doing a property visit, making sure, you know, from a food and beverage perspective, the right products are being used. They're, use, they're using them the correct way. They have training protocols. Um, if we're opening up a new hotel, we're involved in most all the aspects from the positioning of the outlets, the OSNE, the critical path, the recruitment process of all the leaders. So like from a current perspective, no new executive chef or executive pastry chef will join the company if we don't interview them. So it's a pretty big role that we have, right? We're, we're literally um, looking at every single person that's potentially coming into our prop to our property or to one of our hotels, if you will which is great, right? Because that means that we can protect the culture mm-hmm. and we can kind of, um, as we're interviewing and as we're meeting these individuals, we meet them because there's so many hotels, you kind of forget sometimes who's where, right? So when we're doing special events or when we're looking at another hotel opening or we lost a chef here, who can we put? We can try to feed ourselves from within, you know? And sometimes the roles don't work out. You know, sometimes I'll interview somebody that's working for a different company and and just the opportunities will work out. But the great thing is we've already networked. And then in the future, there's another opportunity that, you know, maybe works for this person. I've already met someone. So that part of it is pretty cool. Uh, we work with the brands team, our architecture and design team. So we're involved in processes once we start designing kitchens, restaurant spaces. So there's a lot of intricate things within the operation. I, I work a lot with the... Uh, corporate procurement team, which is HSM, Hilton Supply Management. We work with the ESG, the kind of like the, the environmental social governance team, if you will. So sustainability efforts and, and all sorts of things. We we're involved in a lot of those things. And, and really the, the special thing is that we get to have a, a say in the impact of our company and what we're doing in, in terms of food and beverage and, and really social impact. If you look at a lot of our sustainability efforts, our goals as a company to, to be a greener company, um, we impact the environment, right? The amount of uh, single-use plastics that we've gotten rid of, right? We don't use single-use plastics. We use uh, sustainable or uh, compostable items, right? We were one of the first companies to, to get rid of the plastic straws and use different uh, materials of straws, right? We've gone through different variations, right? We've used the paper, we've used the avocado pulp straws, but we were the f- one of the first companies to mandate that from our hotels before it was even mandated by some uh, local regulators in terms of cities and, and things like that. Man, I can just say that, you know, I love hearing that Chef Raphael's there. I don't know how I missed that, that both of you that started in the same kitchen in Miami Beach. Mm-hmm grew together to lead one of the largest hotel companies culinary operations is yeah it's amazing man i'm proud of you for yeah. for getting to that level 
And and I have to say, I have to say, I wasn't even looking for this opportunity because I was very happy and, and having lots of fun with my role at Bodega. But the opportunity to continue the journey that Chef Mark started just made it something that not everybody gets an opportunity to do that, you know? And uh, the three months that I've been in the role that I spent with Chef Mark, you know, traveling on and off with him, some of the speeches that he gave, like, were so surreal. Like, he, he, he alluded to, and he said this a lot, it's like, one in, in this business will never ever think that the one day that you decide to retire, that the people that are going to replace you are the people that you grew in the business, you know? Um, to some extent, I look at Chef Mark as, you know, my father figure in the business that I'm in, right? He's my mentor. He's someone that I looked up to as a leader, but it, it's great to be able to continue that. You know, everything that he's taught me through the 22 years that I've known him, basically, I feel that I can continue to carry that on and, and instill into our new chefs or to our, and to our younger generations that are coming to our company kind of the same teachings, but in, in my way, right? Because we're not the same chef. We're not the same individual. You know, I'm inspired by him. I'm instilled, he's instilled a lot of things that have shaped me to who I am as a chef today. And hopefully I'm able to do that over the next few years into our, our generation of chefs. God, I love it. I love this whole story, walking in as an intern to now being in your role with Chef Mark along for the ride. But listen, Chef Jorge, you know, you've given me a lot of time here. I want to just ask you one more question. Yeah. So if you were talking to young Jorge walking into that IHOP to get on mm -hmm. the line for the really first time, if he was starting today, if that yeah. person was starting today, what advice would you give him as he's getting into hospitality? Focus on the work, right? Focus on the journey. Don't force it. Don't try to get ahead of yourself. You know, I think for some parts of my career, I was searching for the position or the money, right? And what I know today is if you put the work in, the opportunity will come. If you put the work in, the money will come. If you rush things, you, you fail at learning things along the way that perhaps people are trying to teach you, but you're too focused on growing that you're not learning. So, you know, I think if, if through some of my younger years, I would have perhaps been a little bit more patient, been a little bit more grounded. Um, not that I would be further along, but I think I wouldn't, wouldn't have taken maybe in some aspects of my career longer to acquire certain knowledge than I did. You know, I think some of the things I missed on that I perhaps learned later in my years, I could have learned earlier on if I was just a little bit more focused and a little bit more grounded. So God, that would be one piece of advice. I think that's great advice for everybody listening and really your whole journey is awesome. And for anyone that wants to connect with uh, Jorge Ramos, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, you find me with my name, Jorge Ramos. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. It's a great networking tool. Or on Instagram, uh, chef underscore Jorge underscore Ramos. I, I invite you to follow me on my journey and, and how I um, meet the teams throughout the Americas and, and really impact our, our culinary journey, if you will. Well, I love it. Well, thanks again for joining us. You've given some great inspiration to a lot of people. And I'm just so proud of you and, and seeing where you're at Thank today. You. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you, Steve. It means a lot. You know, thank you for what you're doing. I think through this, this um, podcast that you're doing, you're, you're really bringing a lot of insight to our industry that I think is oftentimes either forgotten or people don't realize how it goes. Man, that makes me happy to hear. And, I'm, and I'll continue doing it as long as people listen. So thank you.
All right, my friend, you take care. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.